0: Welcome to Mastering Agility. If you want to listen to authentic conversations with the most inspiring guests, find like-minded people in the Mastering Agility Discord community, or both online and face-to-face events, this is the platform for you. Grab a drink, sit back, and join professional scrum trainers, Sander Dore, Jen Salmons, and their guests in an
1: all-new episode.
2: When I use this technique, it's really not about building trust as much as it is about generating contribution. So two weeks ago, I asked a small group of people, I think eight people, we were going to be together for two hours. And I said, let's take five minutes. I want to go around the room. What's the first concert you went to? And I knew it was surface level, but this group struggled to talk. And I didn't want to just stare at them and have this hour and 50 minutes of uncomfortable silence. So as they talked, I didn't really care what their answer was. I cared that they were talking, but they made some connections with people they had worked with every day. I didn't know you liked them. I saw this one. Do you like this? Oh, I, I had this experience at that concert, etc. And I think that it didn't maybe create trust, but it helped that small group of people see each other as slightly more of a human instead of just a coworker who shared a cubicle or an office next door. Now, seven years ago, I had a different experience where the room I wasn't facilitating, but I was there observing. And the question was very similar to this one. It was, I forget what it was is either what's your favorite movie or TV show, something like that. And one of the people sat there and said, "Nunya" to the facilitator when it came around the room to them. And I knew what he meant. And the facilitator didn't and said, "Nunya, what's that, I've never heard of it. He goes, none your business. None your damn business is actually what he said. And he goes, what I do outside of this building and what I do outside of this team is none of your business. I don't care, I'm not, you know, and he kind of vented. And I helped get us back on track, deescalate, we moved on. But the other facilitator and I talked about that immediately following. And to no one's surprise, the rest of the room was like, yep, that's what we expected. That's why he doesn't participate. That's why he doesn't collaborate with us. And it was an outward example of more real and important things. And that team took it as another example of we're not all aligned.
0: So, so... So I'm going to challenge her sure. because I think this is, this is where I try, I try, maybe I just sound like an empathetic, like sympathizer. I don't know. But like I had, I did a training actually I wrote about this in the book, but I don't remember what the name of the character we gave in the book. So I, I might say a different name right now, but, but cause we changed all the names of the books and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I never, they're like, tell me about Sue. I'm like, which story was Sue again? <laughs> like that's probably been one of the hardest things about the book. Um, but uh, I walked in to do this training, this facilitation thing, and everybody kept walking up to me like, "Oh, so and so, you're not going to like him because he doesn't do any of this. None of your business, right?" Like, and he's like, "But because I could still get people talking right away, I could still get people connecting." But it wasn't frivolous. It wasn't, and and I don't mean to say any conversation, any icebreaker is a frivolous thing. But like, I I forget what my opening cha- like question was, but it was something that they had to talk in small groups about something that was going on, and then I tied it there, but everybody was going to have an opinion, so I knew everybody would talk, but they had to talk in the small groups. It was tied to the agenda of what we were going to be talking about for that day anyways, and he participated. And then lo and behold, the next thing, he participated. I gave him the right to pass, right? Like I gave him that option, but like the reality was is he just didn't like talking in front of the entire group. He didn't like being put on the spot. He didn't like sharing his personal dynamics that didn't seem related. But once he could make the connection, he could. But if you didn't post it in a situation, that was it. He came up to me at the end of the meeting. He goes, I don't know what you did, but I liked it. And I don't know how I feel about you. And walked <laughs> away. And so, like, there's a part of me that's like, I have met people. I had a guy who everybody hated on the team. They were like, he's just not aligned, he doesn't want to collaborate. And it turned out he was a he had been told when he got his when he got hired years earlier that he wasn't good enough and he shouldn't have been hired. So he spent the next like seven years trying to be a you know, build a code silo, right, and 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 create a job security, which was going to get him fired. And and but everybody else was he was just not friendly. He was not willing to share. He wasn't aligned. He wasn't right and there was trauma there. Now, am I do I think all leaders are responsible for figuring out what somebody's trauma is of why they don't want to share their favorite movie or why? No, but but we got to respect that people are people and they're bringing in issues. And there might be something that's causing that guy to go none of your business. And and that doesn't mean he can't collaborate. That doesn't mean he can't engage. That doesn't mean he can't align and participate. But you gotta be better as a facilitator of how to get him. Mm. In. And 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 the more that you try to make it easy, which most people will engage, and then he just seems like the hard person that's being difficult, no, you didn't do your job. And I say that with love, Jim. But like, but like that's the that's the dynamic of how I look at it now is, is like that person who's really uncomfortable, maybe they're an extreme introvert and people are like, well, introverts don't have feelings. Yeah, change their code. You'll see feelings. Like, <laughs> no, like everybody has feelings. How we're engaging with different people, we got to respect that. And maybe that person had been burned by being personal in the past. Maybe that person had been given a message that he should never be that. Maybe that person got bullied. Maybe that right. And yes, it sounds like I'm just making a lot of excuses for jerky behavior that's just not participating. But if I want participation, I need to meet somebody where. Are you
2: trisha splaining about this situation? Did we just coin a term, Sander? trisha splaining? No, you are. Oh, I one hundred percent agree with you. And, and there's a whole lot more to this story, and and, and all that behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. However. Um, as I was listening to your book, especially the parts about facilitation, I I found myself just just nodding. Like I probably look like a moron out there mowing my grass <laughs> listening to your book because I'm nodding vigorously. One time I even stopped and made a note on my iPhone in the in the app because about you told about the best compliment you got was that person who said, you know, the story you just told. I had a very similar experience to that, where I was an outside facilitator at my company, but a group I I didn't know. And on the first break, someone came up to me and said, I was skeptical of why we needed you here. And I thought I was a good facilitator. But now I see a why we needed it and that I have some learning to do. And I, I thanked her very much. And what I took away and that's not a way of, of humble bragging on myself because I still could look back at those two days and say I made twenty mistakes, but I think it's and I'm curious what Sandra and you think about this, Tricia, is many people do not put enough effort into facilitation, and they just think it's running the meeting or driving the agenda, you and they it. do not understand that for those two days that I was you know the facilitator, I prepped with a couple colleagues. For a few weeks, now not 40 hours, but it's not just something you accidentally put on this, a great workshop or a great session or et cetera. And I think everybody, even day-to-day or for the bigger type interactions, needs to give facilitation its, you know, due attention. Sing it loud. Agree? Sandra, what do you think? Because I know you're in this situation a lot.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, there's so much more to it, and it's uh, it's not just pushing the agenda or just following the agenda blindly. You got to read the room. To the, the, the exact same example that Trisha was just going going over, read the room, see what's being said, what's not being said, and what body language is doing. Uh, also, f- feel free to divert from the agenda if you see something more tangible or more more stringent coming up. Jump on that. Have enough tools in your your mental backpack. To start working with that and not ju- just because, well, we've prepared this, let's go do this. Now, apparently there's some topic that has a bigger burning platform or that just boils up because of the discussion. Let's jump on that. Let's work with that. There's so much more to facilitation than just run the event. Yeah.
0: One of my favorite, just to combine the two, like when I started learning facilitation, I was like, oh, I could do something completely different. Is like one of my first favorite openings just to get people talking but have it be more relevant is appreciations. Just let people give yeah. appreciations for a second. Talk about building connections and trust when people are appreciating each other and as a start leading into opening. And so it's just little things that I was like, Oh, it never occurred to me to do that. Aren't you supposed to end on <laughs> Like, and, and ended up fa- learning so many different things that like, like you said, I'm like, Oh, I should have done that better <laughs> before.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's how you grow. Yeah. Uh, but kind of coming back to leading without blame, blame goes both ways, right? You can blame someone else. But I can imagine, especially you've been in the board of directors or anywhere else in the other top positions, that you get blamed for that. How do you tie those together without, for instance, looking at leading without getting the blame?
0: Um, yeah. So one, I want to acknowledge, we, we, we it was too long of a title, but we almost wanted to put lead without blame or shame. <laughs> because I think in some ways, leaders are really good at beating ourselves up um good leaders right is like is cuz you always want to keep you doing better and you want to be helping people and stuff and so shame ooh like even if i don't know many leaders walking around going ooh who can i blame today it doesn't mean it doesn't happen it's just not really the intent but we're really good at shaming ourselves too but when it comes to being the leader that's getting blamed um This is, this is, I did a session at once at a scrum gathering, I don't know, it was pre-COVID and I was, it was just a rough, I was having a rough go. Like I was just getting nailed from every situation, direction, HR is telling me I can't talk, right? Like you're just, you're just, everybody's making assumptions. People are blaming you. You're, you're just frustrated. And, and I got up in the open space section and I went, I want to do a session on why being a leader sucks. (laughs) And, and and honestly, it was a little bit of why we put some dynamics of the resiliency of it, because I do think we lose a lot of really good leaders because we are not taking care of ourselves. Um, and it's hard. And and I don't want to, to downplay what the impacts leaders' decisions have on others and that that's the priority. But at the same note, you know, it is tough to, I've had to lay people off. I didn't sleep. I got physically ill, like it was not good. And yes, the focus needs to be on the people that got laid off, but to act like there's no ramifications for sometimes the people are not making the decision, but have to do the action is not, is not trivial either. And, and so this was probably one of the areas that I've had to work on the most. And, and, and honestly, co-writing with Diana has been huge for me in this area is, is just part of that confident humility is, is me kind of going, how am I taking care of myself? How am I? How am I going to deal with somebody making comments about the book in a negative, disparaging way? And what what is that going to allow that to affect me and in what ways? Um, and and because I always take feedback so per, you know, so I I wanna grow, I wanna learn. And sometimes there are just feedback you shouldn't take, <laughs> like and in different ways. And so I think this is an area where we don't do enough to talk to leaders about the sucky part of leaders. I just did a blog post recently that was like something like I'm the boss bias, where you think once you're the boss, you're gonna fix everything. <laughs> like that's the bias you have, right? And 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 then you just get blamed for everything and and targeted for stuff. And it's just it's really, really hard. Um, and so I needed to learn how to do more to take care of myself, but I also needed to trust the long game more. Mm. That the gossip or the rumor was a narrative that's easy to perpetuate the long game is what the connections and the difference you are making. And that's, what's lasting, not any one individual gossip.
2: I was talking to somebody recently and uh, a middle management position came open in their company and they, they were a scrum master right now. And they were telling me that they applied for the job and they really wanted it. And I said, why do you want it? let's explore the why behind you stopping something that you're still learning. And her answer was, because then I'll have the power and I'll have the ability to make the changes that I so want that I know we need. I'm
0: the boss. Bias. Right. And I
2: said, <laughs> a what makes you think that you will have any more ability to make those changes in that role than now. And B what have you done to try and make those changes without the implicit authority or explicit authority of a new job title? And she said, holy shit, I never really thought about it like that. And I said, yeah. like, uh, Do you see other middle managers in your company unable to enact change that they are passionate about? And she said, yes, absolutely. I go, so what makes you think you're going to be any different? But I think that's a very common one. And you talked earlier about like climbing the ladder and just for the audience, what what the, the phrase that Tricia said today that I am going to take away, and maybe Sandra and I can make this the, 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 uh, title or the, a bumper or something is that wasn't the change or the, that wasn't the challenge I wanted. And I think that that career ladder and the challenge nature is so amazing because, there was a time in my life where I I took a huge step down in most people's eyes. And A, and the reason I asked you if you did that with a lot of conscious thought is people from the outside thought I did it impulsively. Nothing could be further from the truth. It took me 90 days to make that decision. But it's the exact same thing you said is that job was no longer challenging. And even if it could have been challenging, it wasn't the challenge I wanted. And I think that's really something for the audience to think about is is if you think that a title or a a specific job is the next step on your ladder maybe you just need to find a new ladder or maybe you need to find a ladder that values what you can do what you bring to the table and what you're passionate about instead of what hr calls you
1: etc there are so many people that choose comfort over challenge I'm fine in this position because I know how to run this. If I'm going to do something else, that's going to freak me out. Or I have to prove myself all over again, or I have to deal with this mansplaining or <clears throat> Tricia's planning or whatever situation that they're going to come across. And then they have, they have to leave the stability that they currently have. And that usually mm. freaks people out.
0: And so what I hear with that Sander is leaders are not being very good at being supportive, Right. Oh. And and that's the dynamic that we get promoted into leadership. We get promoted in these like career up things for the what you did in your last job. That doesn't mean those are the skills you need in your next job. And and you know, like it makes me sad to hear that because I think of how many people, like even thinking of for myself, like I wouldn't be where I am today if David Hussman and others weren't going. Why are you not speaking? Why are you not doing this? See, here's Trisha Broderick. She's going to do my session and like literally put me on. But there was almost this element of feeling that support, feeling that challenge but not um not in a way that made it just feel like it was out of my comfort zone. Like now suddenly I wanted to make him proud. I wanted to, you're right. Like and and having those things where we level ourselves up for those challenges because we feel we have support to do it. One of my other favorite compliments I ever got or descriptions I ever got was she pushes me onto a tightrope, but I always know she's the safety net mm. And I love that because Wonderful. like for me, like what Sandra you're highlighting is hundred percent true. And I just wish we were all a little bit better at helping people through that.
2: Yeah. Sam?
1: I'm curious because that kind of makes me think, how many situations have you come across where leaders are in the position of leading something that they do not understand? To make this a little bit more tangible, how many agile leaders are actually agile leaders that truly understand what agility means?
0: Oh, very few. Um, So I I have mixed – Sentiments on this. So, I don't believe that the leader has to be the expert in whatever they're leading. Because oftentimes, if you're the expert, your chances of leading are probably very slim and you're going to do a bad job leading because you don't know how to step out of the way and not be the hub. But also, leaders are trainers. And if you have no context, you have no experience, you have no background, you have no, like, you can't see a vision to help them support them, right? Like, and and my background helped me to be able to I didn't need to keep coding, but my background helped me to understand what the passions were, the visions to increase our technical excellence practice. I didn't have to do the technical excellence practices, but as the director of development, I had to understand what the vision of where we were headed, right, was. And so it does make me sad how many leaders don't have leadership skills on top of understanding that they're also a trainer, and if you can't train, you can't enable. You can't lift people up. you can't scale. and And if you are training and you don't know what you're training on, please stop cause you're making my life miserable.
1: It <laughs> yeah, was so true. Holy shit. How often do you see situations where people, you know, leadership is supposed to to, to, to create the psychologically safe environment or to create, as Amy Edmondson puts it, uh, to create the culture of listening.
0: Yeah.
1: How many leaders actually do that?
0: Not many. So, Tricia, I,
2: I had to pull it up on my computer so I didn't um, okay. butcher the quote. The quote from Elon Musk is, I strongly believe that all managers in a technical area must be technically excellent. Managers in software must write great software or it's like being a cavalry captain who can't ride a horse. Thoughts?
0: <laughs> that just demonstrates why I think Elon Musk is a piece of Oh, sorry, let's continue on. Okay. I don't I I I I can't I can't handle Elon Musk. Um the Elon Musk for me is an example of Really disruptive, visionary people having to have amazing people that clean up after them nonstop. Mm. And and so any opinions he has are very, very limited to me in terms of what value they bring to the table versus his team at Tesla or SpaceX that has been surrounding him that actually is helping despite him mm-hmm. um we all know that disruptive leader in an organization he can be visionary he can be i, I don't want to take away although i would argue he wasn't visionary in tesla other people did that and he just bought it but l- let me let's set that aside for a second i'm gonna get elon musk hater like supporters now <laughs> sending me hate now <laughs> so thanks for this jim and Sandra. um but the reality is like i i can get behind a charismatic visionary, disruptive. I've got enough money that I can do crazy things because isn't that a lovely privilege for you? Mm -hmm. But let's set that aside for a second and go... And how many people are cleaning up after you nonstop? Mm -hmm. And those people cleaning up after you nonstop are not getting the rewards that they should, not getting the recognition that they should. You are successful because of who is around you, not because of you, in my opinion, with Elon Musk. And Twitter kind of highlighted that um, because he didn't have a team that was like he was coming in and he was just a disruptive force that caused mass chaos and, and, and issues. And he's got enough money to deal with that. But- I, I, his if he's like you, absolutely have. I'm going the absolute other route just out of principle. Now,
2: Sander, what do you think? So,
1: I was just wondering whether that answers your question.
2: Uh, well, I mean, I just wanted Tricia.
1: Yeah, Trisha I wanted just
2: should... opinion on it, which w- we definitely got that, <laughs> and I I love it because <laughs> I am in complete agreement with it. I I think leadership is a skill, and I think that. Sometimes a a technically capable manager or leader could be the right thing. It's also interesting that he uses the word manager specifically and does not say leader, probably for some egotistical reason that because he's the only leader. But there is a difference, in my opinion. And I think there are many cases where, in my experience, where I haven't known how to do something has made me a better leader and a better manager because... I don't know, is a very scary phrase for a lot of people, but it's one of the most important phrases for managers, leaders, and companies to come to terms with as a good thing instead of a bad thing.
0: Especially when you want to innovate and discover. Right. Um, I had a guy, a lead developer that once worked for me who, he was one of the first ones like, you know, you'll get more respect as the director of development if you coded with people. And I'm like, if I have to code with you to get respect, I've already lost. Um, and, and he wasn't being dismissive. He wasn't being like, he was genuinely like for him, that was, that was his version of what a leader had always been to him was the most senior expert person that can write the most code in that. And, and i was like well that's not going to be my approach and and it was funny cuz i actually heard from him just a couple of months ago he's now at amazon and he was like i was just telling a new newly promoted manager to stop coding as much as he is <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and i was like wow things have come a long way right but but like i think this is also it's it's kind of what the expectation is and what the the known career ladder dynamic has perpetuated and 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 then we say things in society of like oh that's just soft skills right. and that's fluffy bunnies and anything to diminish the power of of that value right. but i i know my worth and my value and what i've made in terms of a difference is way more as a leader than ever when i wrote a line of code
1: usually soft skills are the hardest yeah. to master anyway so if you're good at soft skills kudos <laughs> Uh, but I, coming back to the statement, I think that's—I uh, st- tend to agree with managers benefiting from a content perspective because managing asserts that they are managing something. Leaders is the opposite side where more is unknown, and managing goes like you're more on the content part. So, to some degree, I do understand, and I have less to less of a strong opinion to Elon Musk in this case than than, than Trisha does. Um,
0: <laughs> Let's get real. Her hatred came through very Uh, clearly. (laughs) uh, No, no. I felt like you have just a very
1: colorful picture of him in your head, and that's okay. I
0: I think it's more of the disappointment because he's seen as a great leader, and that's where I think it sends really poor messages, and that's what – it's disappointing for me.
1: And I think – yeah, I I got to know this about uh, Steve Jobs as well. He was a great visionary, but he also did not invent the iPod or the iPhone. He did invent the iPod. He didn't invent the iPhone. There were people in his company that had to come back over and over again to convince him of the idea that the iPhone would be a great idea. So many people lauded him for the fact that he was such a great visionary and he created the iPhone, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't. Yeah, And I
2: think a few episodes ago, Trisha, Sander and I talked about this idea that people, change agents, whatever, need to have that support, that safety net that you mentioned, so that they can do the right things. And I think that goes for managers and leaders as well. And Sander admitted he um, came to terms recently, like, I don't know what recently means, but of having empathy towards managers. And I think that if we, yeah, I think if we think about What type of system are they in? What are they being held accountable for? And then we say, when we see them doing something that we don't feel is helpful, why are they doing it? Which I love the the activity of an empathy map. When people are just bashing their managers, I'm like, let's put ourselves in Mika's shoes for a minute. What is she hearing? What is her boss and her boss's boss holding her to account for? And I think many people are held accountable for other people's work. And that tends to lead to a lot of these things. And when it might be easy for the three of us as coaches or consultants to say, well, that's an organizational problem. You shouldn't hold people accountable for the work of others. You should hold them accountable for this. It's easy for us to say. But if that's not their corporate structure right now, it's it's not going to change much and we shouldn't be surprised, but we should, it doesn't mean we should just accept
1: it either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that, that which, what's the kind of safety are.
1: net? Mm. True. What's the kind of safety net that you like to have around you, uh, Trisha?
0: Um, very big and very wide. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I have found um, I I have my core go to couple people that are my instant like first couple of okay I'm I'm overthinking this right but I I do really I'm grateful for having a very large network that when I have something specific like when I was afraid of writing the book like I could reach out to Esther Derby and she was incredible and she was just like okay well here's tell me your fear you know and like and walk through each one. and so I I do try to. To I don't want to say leverage. I I try to learn from my network, right? And 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 so that becomes a huge safety net for me. Uh, collaboration is a huge safety net for me. Uh, you know, I I don't would not have written this book if I had not been writing it with Diana. Like, there's no part of me that would have ever agreed to that editor, and she had been hounding me for years. <laughs> but collaboration is a safety net for me. And, and not because this, like somebody, I said that to somebody and somebody once went, oh, because then you don't have to take the full blame. And I'm like, no, that's, it's because I, I then don't want to let that collaborator down. So I feel like I give my best and, and I do think it gets the best out of me. And then I'm proud of, of what we're producing. So it, it isn't a sharing of anything on, on that front. It is actually like it, I, I'm way more dependent, you know, like the minute I'm, somebody's counting on me, I'm psh, I'm all in. And so collaboration is another way that I do a lot of my safety net. And then I have to do a little bit of, um, this is going to sound slightly weird maybe, but my other safety net is what am I responsible for in helping other people? And, and that, that sounds arrogant, I think, but I don't mean for it to be, it's, I have, I have people that are looking to me as their safety net and how am I staying in a space that can provide that for them? And, and so whether that's, I need to take a trip, whether that's, I need to disconnect for a day, whether, and so I, I really think about how am I being a safety net for others and what I need. And so I'm, I try to be as proactive as I can um, with that, but I, I take that responsibility very seriously. And, and so, um, and then sometimes I get surprised because they end up being my safety net too, right? Like the people I'm trying to help actually help me (laughs) in, in, in different ways. And and that's not surprising in any way. I always say I get more as a mentor often than I ever feel like a mentee gets, but um, that's, I, I get it from a lot of those places but mostly my network. what was
1: the really? How did you get to such a realization at least to think about a question or an angle like this? Cause this is not one of the the, the most typical things or perspectives to, to think about.
0: Um, I, I, Oh, how, how I'm trying to think of I what's coming to my mind first. And I don't know if I've ever thought of this question. So good job, Sandra. You did it again. Um, is, is, I feel so incredibly grateful and appreciative to the people who believed in me before I did, who saw in me my potential, who ch- helped me be challenged. And, and that can be, you know, people that I worked with on a regular basis from like Kevin Ola to Ted, H- Ted, Orr to ad- well-known agilists like David Hussman and, and, um, Alistair Coburn and and different people to to people that I met once or twice. Right, I I I'm so grateful for their impact on me and really challenging me, supporting me, um, opening doors for me. That in some ways, and and this is why we did what we did a little bit in the book too, where we really wanted to emphasize the work that we were building on from other people. Is is. This is my way to pay it forward, helping open doors for other people, giving back, um, doing things to make it more visible, using my privilege and being vulnerable and saying things that maybe you don't want to admit right now and you can't admit, you know, depending on your work situation or things like that. For me, the making a difference and paid it forward is honoring the people that did it for me.
1: That's incredible.
0: Trisha,
2: you mentioned a, f- a fear when you were talking to Diana, and one of the things that I wrote down at the beginning of this is, um, I wanted to ask: was it was there any fear that you brought to writing the book about putting ideas out there? Because, and I'll give you some context about what I'm talking about is. There are many times, and I'll admit to this, that I want to say something. I want to put a LinkedIn post out. I want to write a blog article. I want to put a YouTube video out. I want to write a book. Um, but I'm afraid because I know that there is a large portion of the population in our community, and I use our community as agility or just the wider business uh, you know, thought leadership community, of people who no matter what I say, they'll be like, well, that's not right. That's not the only way to do it. Or I would never do it that way. Or you didn't think about this, or you use this word incorrectly, or, and even something as fleeting as a video or a LinkedIn post is much less scary than a book that's forever. So I can imagine that the fear could be amplified. Is, Is that something you experienced or am I way off base on that?
0: No, it was definitely a fear I had. In fact, I taught Mike Cohn actually said, Oh yeah, you'll have people come up and like on page 26 of your book of this like like and 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 then and <laughs> Lisa Atkins um gave me advice in terms of like people will want book Trisha and not whatever new topic you're trying to talk to. They mm. want what you're gonna talk about in the book and only in the book. And so I had a lot of really great support in terms of understanding what, what it was going to mean. For me i I have that fear on a regular basis and I don't know if part of that is as a female in tech that it it can get it's not just hurtful it's scary at times um and, and in terms of um well, are you just following me around <laughs> like like and 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 it can be a little like physically scary um for me at times uh not just mentally hurtful and and. And what that's going to mean. And so I, I, I tried to come. So most of the things that I do in podcasts and, and, and my writings and and my lives or things like that, I usually come from an I first person vulnerable. These are my stories. So you can fight me all day long on whether you would do it that way or not. This is my reality. This is Mm -hmm. my story you can't, you can't negate my story. So, writing the book was harder because then it was like we are putting actual content out in the world that people can decide or not. But it is also why we were so story based in Mm. the book. That was my, that was my look, there is no, this is the right way for every situation. So don't even bother coming at me for this is exactly the right model or not. This is a model that can help that built off of this model or these things and these stories and these examples. And we, we tried to make it a little bit more resource-esque mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. here is exactly what you need to do, which is just ridiculous to begin with, right? And I think yeah. that has limited any of that kind of reaction to us, though.
1: Awesome people are looking for their their silver bullet continuously but there are so many variables to the whole complexity that we're working with and there's nothing more complex than people and behavior hey looking at the time because we are now 38 minutes in and you now have the record of the longest ever mastering agility episode and I, there are over the, over 70 episodes so if there's going to be something that's going to be that, that you should take away from this episode is that you are now the record holder. But we have a couple of things to do. We have two open questions in the uh, in the mural, okay. as well as a giveaway to do. Okay. Uh, but first question: What does Trisha feel is the most common cause of many people conflating accountability with blamable? What's the relationship, if any, to each other?
0: So. Love the question. We ended up spending a bit of time talking about this. And and actually, Jim, you were mentioning this and I, I bit my tongue a little bit earlier because I was like, not the point of what you were highlighting. So don't <laughs> say accountability is to account for something. It doesn't mean you actually own it. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition of accountability is to account. <laughs> and, and you may not even have to actually do it or know how to do it or anything along those lines. We have weaponized accountability as if That is going to then suddenly make people feel like there's consequence and things like that. So we walk around and say statements like single throat to choke, you know, and like all these dumb things that at the end of the day, you tell yourself this amazing narrative like, well, we're trying to figure out what happened so it doesn't happen again. But here's the problem it happened again. It doesn't matter. Like half the time, what you're trying to solve was a one-time certain situation that isn't ever re- like, and then you over-process the solution and then it just causes new problems. We really lean in, which then was what leads to the blaming and that dynamic, because then you feel the weight of the responsibility, but you're not actually doing it. We need to embrace more of creating that shared responsibility and not accountability. Nobody can really hold somebody else to account, right? That's just reporting status, but it doesn't mean I feel any more responsible of doing it. It doesn't mean that I'm actually going to go out of my way to finish it or that I feel bad if it doesn't happen. You're just making me report things. How do we increase responsibility, which is what gets people to go the extra mile, which is what makes people go above and beyond, and 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 then, the need for blame at that point seems ridiculous, because what's the point? And so we really lean into the complexity of the reality of the work and finding that finding that fault, you're probably wasting time, nine out of ten times. Now let's focus on the learning and and increasing responsibility. And then the need for blame kind of goes away. And this is why we we struggle sometimes with the title of the book, because we're like no leaders walking around going, who am I going to blame today? I know you're all thinking of somebody, but honestly, (laughs) they are not doing that. Like, it's just not what is happening. That doesn't mean that's not the impact. That doesn't mean that's not what's felt. But that's because we're holding on to these like, I know we're going to hold them accountable. Well, what does that even mean anyways? Are you getting fired? Mm-hmm. No. Are you like, are you going to lose money? No. What does that even mean? Well, it's going to look bad on a status report. Oh, no. Then the next one's coming <laughs> next week. It just, our, our tactics of trying to manage are outdated.
2: Yeah. One, one phrase that I use all the time when I hear, by the way, I despise the single throat to choke. Uh, Almost as much as I think you might despise using the godfather quote in the realm of humans and business, but, um, (laughs) because no one's ever been choked at any of my clients for not delivering a certain project on time and yeah, yes. But a better question that I have been using is, okay, we're going to hold that person accountable for what? Well, delivering that project. Okay. What are the edges of that project? And then the conversation stops there most of the time. So they're using this account or accountable as as a big stick. And they can't even define the thing that they're holding somebody accountable for. I, not every time, but I would say hmm, 75% of the time, you
1: only have to ask
2: why or what once, and they won't know. Yep.
1: Yep. All right. So I'm going to consider that question answered. Love that, by the way uh and there is a i'd like to discuss the idea of that learning and doing don't have to be the different thing yes. specifically overcoming some of the common object, objections about making time for learning
0: yeah we we i will own this is this might be one of diana's like learning is the work like that's what she says in all that learning is the work like it, it, it's similar to that concept. It's like, we don't have time for a meeting. We have to work. The meeting is the work. Now, if your meeting is crap, then that's a different thing, right? Learning is the work. You can't say things like we're trying to innovate. We're trying to disrupt the market and go, we don't have time to learn. Like it just doesn't even go hand in hand. Yeah. So I I like concepts like hackathons because I do think so many companies go heads down that we we need time to just have complete freedom to like explore But I also get nervous about that messaging sometimes because it seems like there isn't learning baked into everything they're doing on a regular basis. And this goes back to that whole like responsibility thing of trying to find faults. It's like, no, there's learning constantly. And yes, there are always lessons to learn and there's always things that we can grow and improve on. But learning is daily. Mm -hmm. It's not separate. And, and, And if it is... I hope you're screwing lug lug nuts on a tire because I don't want you building software. And I'm sorry. Like, and I'm going to say that hard. Like if learning is, if you are a knowledge work based world and you are creating and building something new and you think learning is something you're going to do on the side or from five to 7 PM only, I don't want your product.
1: No. The first thing that pops to mind is the the retrospectives. And obviously, because if we, we've we been talking about Esther Derby and Diana Larson, the book on retrospectives. And the, that's what I get a lot in scrum teams. It's like, why should we do a, a sprint retrospective? We should spend the time working. Hold on. This is actually doing the work. It's just less it's a lot more abstract than you usually think of what work is supposed to mean, but by learning or at least expecting, inspecting what we've been doing and by adapting, we're making the whole process of the things that you're trying to do a whole lot easier. Yeah. yeah I
0: Like at the end of the day, who delivers the product, the team. So the team needs to get better. <laughs> like, like that's how, yeah. how it I, goes.
2: I, I, this is another note that I wrote when I was listening to the book, because I think what is at play and at fault for many of this thinking is we are asking so much of people. We're asking them to balance so many um, projects, products, initiatives, goals, all at the same time that they don't feel they can take time, not even just to learn, but to sense. And the note I wrote for myself is uh, around this point is it could, learning in the moment could be as simple as taking some time to sense what is going on and what can I learn from what's going on. And, and, Different frameworks give us different, you know, places to do that, but you could do it in a single meeting. Like we're here to do this, but let's take a moment and talk about what's happened in the last week and what can we learn from it. And what my clients tend to hear when I suggest learning, they think money and time away from the keyboard. Like we don't have time to learn. We don't have money to learn. We don't have budget to learn. And I think it's more about what I call learning in place to say, can we make learning a smaller thing that's more frequent, which, you know, sounds an awful lot like agility, um, iterative and incremental, right? So I I think that was a huge takeaway for me from this book.
0: Yeah. I get to a place where I just now kind of say, we don't have time not to learn.
2: Right. Or if we don't learn, what is the outcome of that? And
0: yeah. I don't want your product. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh, I think you'll be uh, done really quick if there's no uh, no. You don't allow time, or at least uh, some capacity to learn. Last thing we should be doing the giveaway that on the uh, on the book. Now, over here in this part of the world, it's now ten forty p.m. So if people have dropped off after our <laughs> one and a half hour uh, session. Uh. Here's my suggestion. Let's have the people who have been attending because I want to give them the opportunity and and the respect as well. Let's have people sign up their email who have been part of the audience. And we'll do a random giveaway to one of them. Perfect. Uh, This is time to you guys to keep things fair. Works for me. Sounds good. Sounds good to you, Jim. Wonderful. Tricia, if there's anything that you would like to give as a, as any tip could be anything. To the audience that's currently listening, what would it be?
0: Oh. This is like be inspirational on the moment. I can't do that. Um, um You've been
1: doing it for nine minutes. I know, minutes. but you
0: just asked a question. That's the difference than just saying be inspirational is the question. You could say anything. <laughs> um, like that's different. Um what,
1: what's the best tip that you ever got? It's the best tip that I ever got. other than join the mastering agility podcast
0: <laughs> The best tip that's coming to my mind I'm sure it might not really be the best one I ever got, but the one that's coming to my mind now is everyone thinks they're an imposter.
1: 100 percent
0: on some level, in some ways, everybody struggles at some moment with, am I good enough? Is this good enough? Are people going to know? And stop giving it power.
1: Love that. And I'm pretty sure it's very relatable to everyone. Jim, any last questions?
2: No last questions. Just want to thank you, Tricia, for for coming on and having such a a great chat. I can tell from the chat and the audience that they got a lot out of it. So thank you very much for spending some of your holiday with us.
1: You've been even called a spirit Mm -hmm. Yeah, scroll up. Yeah.
2: You're like a Patronus,
1: basically. Thank you so much for being here. Once again, looking forward to having you again. The first, first one that's going to be on here for the third time. Thank you so much.
2: That is all for today.
0: Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, let us know by hitting that like button, share it with friends and colleagues, sharing a message on LinkedIn, joining our warm and welcoming Discord community, or attend recordings as a virtual audience. You can find all the relevant links in the show notes, We hope you'll tune back in for the next episode of the Mastering Agility Podcast.